How are you doing? Hi. I'm having Hi. so many feelings. Aww. So many feelings about Haley Freeman's book. Is she how I mean, how amazing is she? Just brilliant and such a just oh, I just really like her writing. It feels like she's Oh yeah. Have you not read her plucked. in the Guardian before? No, no, I haven't. Oh. I feel like she just plucked. You just like need to my start thoughts straight out reading. of my and put them You into need the to academy. go and start just reading back to everything she says. Also, her Twitter main picture thing, whatever you call that in Twitter, is Sarah Steele as well. Perfect. She's perfect. So, today we're going to be talking about. Ferris Bueller's Day Off. We are. Why are we talking about Ferris Bueller's Day Off? Because we mentioned it last week and we love it. We and love it so much. We didn't have anything especially timely that we were moved to talk about this week and we were like, you know what? Let's just talk about something we love because what's this podcast about? Talking about stuff that we love, Kylie. Stuff that we love stuff that we love. About. This is off script. So I watched Ferris Bueller's Day Off again last night and I think it might be the first time I've seen it for, you know, it could be, could be like 10 years. Okay. But it felt like I just watched it last week. And when I was watching it, I felt like I just watched it last week because almost every second is still as fresh to, to me as it was when I watched it when it came out when I was a teenager. Except maybe some of the, the musical cues were kind of like, I don't remember that song, I don't remember that song, I don't remember that, that piece of music, but, but almost every line it was like, it was imprinted on my soul. It's such, it was such a bizarre experience. Where are you? I'm taking the day off. Now get dressed and come on over. You can't stupid, I'm sick. It's like that whole movie is, is pop culturally significant. Like every frame of every scene of that movie has its own special place in pop culture. Like it's a movie that it's a movie that is the sum of its parts and every single one of its parts is amazing. Absolutely amazing. Like even even the wardrobes are like personally and culturally significant to me. Can we talk about Sloan's jacket? I if I owned that fringed white leather jacket, I would wear that thing every second of every day until I dropped dead. You would be burying the shriveled one hundred and ten year old corpse. This whole outfit and that jacket. Like if you if you wrote down each piece of Sloan's outfit, you would be like, This should never work. This is there's no way any of this is gonna work. But on her it's just, she takes this, that whole outfit to another level. Mia Sara, I don't really know anything about Mia Sara. I feel terrible. Like, I feel like she never did anything worth watching after that. But she was in Legion, wasn't she? And I mean, she definitely, you know, there's, there's 
there's not a lot higher up that you can kind of go from this. I mean, you get your breakout role in Ferris Bueller's Day Off, like, ouch. You know, even Alan Ruck disappeared for a long time after this movie. Yeah, he's only kind of, like, well, there was Charlie Sheen, of course. Yeah. In a pivotal, pivotal role. So amazing. <laughs> Drugs. Thank you, no, I'm straight. I meant, are you in here for drugs? Why are you here? Drugs. I don't know why. You see, I'm, I'm just looking online now, and that character actually had a whole name. I bet you he had a whole backstory and everything. John Hughes had written a whole backstory. Oh, I bet he did. I can't imagine what it would be. I bet he But did. I bet it was. His name in the film is Garth Volbeck. What? <laughs> 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 it's just like for the engineers telling me Garth Volbeck. The rebel bad boy is called Garth. That's amazing. Oh, my God. That is but, hilarious. You know, that kind of actually speaks a little bit to that Hadley Freeman thesis that I love and wholeheartedly adopt. What did you think of that? I think... I think after I read it, I was like, I don't think there's any other way of reading this film now. Yeah. I feel like she's just nailed it so perfectly that I don't even feel, I don't even feel bitter about having to let go of any like personal ideas about what the film was about because it's like, oh no, that's the best idea. Why don't you quickly run through it for Alison? Okay. So she talks briefly about how in the 80s class was a big feature of teen films and that she thinks it was particularly because John Hughes had not suffered necessarily but had experienced that kind of feeling of being out of place because he was lower middle class in an upper middle class neighbourhood and rich people were jerks and poor people were outsiders. That's like a rough generalisation. And and you can see this is kind of a a thread through almost all his films, and she gives quite good detailed analysis of almost all his films where that dynamic is kind of the pivotal pivotal plot point in the film. But in Ferris Bueller, he seemed to do something different. He seemed to be making a fantasy where that loser, outcast, lower middle-class kid becomes the hero and it's kind of like a, a fantasy or a fable about his dream life or the dream life of a teenager like that. And that's who Ferris Bueller is because on paper, like Sloane's outfit, on paper, Ferris Bueller is a massive loser. He's a nerd. He dresses like a granddad. He jeopardizes my ability to effectively govern this student body. Well, makes you look like an ass is what he does, Ed. He's not cool at all. He's basically a giant nerd. He's not particularly handsome although he's very cute he's not like jake from 16 candles hot or anything he doesn't even have a car and that's like the crucial point like he doesn't have a car he asked for a car he got a computer and now he's a computer geek <laughs> now he's like he's hacking systems left right and center amazing exactly. amazing child amazing child oh well he's very popular ed the sportos, the motorheads, geeks, sluts, bloods, wasteoids, dweebies, dickheads. They all adore him. They think he's a righteous dude. One thing I found out, one thing also that I found out was that Jeannie was supposed to be his younger sister. That I never read that. 
Oh, right, really? I, I, she I was his that. better older sister because and I was a better older sister. Of the script. Or maybe they, maybe they even shot it originally so that he had younger siblings and then they got you to sit out. Oh, right. Is oh, what no, I understood. But I always read her as like the older sister who's like, because that's how, that's how the dynamic usually works, is like the older kid gets all the rules and has all the responsibilities and the younger kid is like woo great yeah because by the time by the time the younger kid comes along the parents are so naked they don't care anymore yeah <laughs> yep. as a parent can you confirm that it's I, I, I 100% confirm the younger child gets away with way more than the yeah, older child exactly way that's more. where I kind of got where I sort of took her bitterness is coming from of like <laughs> she's kind of doing all this She's got to be the good kid, but well, she is, and he's the one that causes all the trouble, gets all the trouble. Exactly, exactly. She could be bleeding out the eyes. Exactly. And And they still make her go to school. Oh, man, there's so many. I just, I don't even know where to start. There's like this bottleneck, bottle jam of like stuff I want to say about this film. But, um,. But yes, that was that's that's Hedley Freeman's thesis about Ferris Bueller, that Ferris is a kind of cipher for John Hughes' fantasy of what yeah. being a teenager shoulda, coulda, woulda been like for him. If he'd had a little bit more money, maybe, or if the world had been a very different place. Yeah, if the world actually respected the smart, friendly, affable, slightly geeky teenager. Rule-breaking, rule-breaking. Rule-breaking. Authority-denying yeah. teenager, yeah. Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. Still, like, not, definitely not your, you know, plastics from Mean, Girl, from mean Girls model of, yeah. Yeah. of cool kids. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you go even, even down to, like, the fact that Sloane is, the most, like, the prettiest girl in school and she wants to be with him. She doesn't just want to be with him. She's, like, desperate to marry him. Yeah. That's, like, her, that's her last line in the whole film. He's going to marry me. He's going to marry me. What do you think about Cameron? If anybody needs a day off, it's Cameron. He has a lot of things to sort out before he graduates. Can't be wound up this tight and go to college. His roommate will kill him. When Cameron was in Egypt's land Let my Cameron go Pardon my French, but Cameron is so tight that if you stuck a lump of coal up his ass, in two weeks you'd have a diamond. Oh, I, you know, when I, I remember very distinctly sitting in the cinema going, pull yourself together, Cameron. Get in the car. Let's go. And Something that I really love about Ferris Bueller's Day Off is that, and there's a read of the movie where it's kind of about Ferris saving Cameron where the point of this day isn't just for Ferris to have, like, one last hurrah before he, you know, before everything changes, like, you know, his whole life becomes something Mm -hmm. completely different, but that it's about Ferris trying to teach Cameron how to enjoy himself and like himself. How to unclench. How to unclench, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Because what is it? His, he's, so, he's, so, he's so tight. You, that if so, you stack a lot of coal up his ass in two weeks, you, you have, have a diamond. diamond. 
which is just the most perfect, perfect description of how of of, of how tightly wound Cameron is. Yeah. Yeah. In the, in, the Hedley Freeman, in the Hedley Freeman piece, actually, she's, she's sort of quotes an interview with Matthew Broderick where, where he said he always felt like Ferris and Cameron were two parts of John Hughes' personality, that he could be mm-hmm. really standoffish like Cameron was, but also really loved, you know, loved being on set, loved being with a lot, bunch of people, was really gregarious. And that, that actually really made a lot of sense to me so, as well, that everybody in that film, every character in that film is a hyper-realistic version of... Of some aspect of a personality, yeah. Yeah, well, that I mean, that makes it even more interesting, I guess, if you see it as almost like the conflict or the battle between two aspects of John Hughes's psyche mm, mm. playing out in this movie. But yeah, I really, I really quite liked that as 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 a read on Ferris Bueller to kind of just hone in on the friendship between those two, which. It's, it's it's another, and I mean, you know, the genre is full of these kinds of friendships, but it's one of those weird friendships where it's like, why are these two people actually drawn to each other? Right, right. You know, but yeah. yeah, what do they have in common? But I think if you look at it as like Cameron admires and looks up to Ferris because he's he's what Cameron wishes he could be. Mm. Which is what he had, like even, the, even down to like the, the loving parents and the warm kind of... Exactly. Home and all those things. It's not like, you know, his, Ferris describes Cameron's house as being like a museum. Yeah. And as opposed to his home, which is, you know, cluttered and lived in and. Yeah. Yeah. Has a dog, all those kinds of Right, right, right. And, 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 and then if you look at it from the other way, like Cameron for Ferris is. Like, I mean, I don't want to say like what he could be if everything goes wrong or whatever, but maybe Ferris understands in himself how he could become or or where he might have tendencies towards the, like, freaking out or the uptight or whatever. And he uses his friendship with Cameron to sort of help both of them to to work through that stuff. If I get caught, I won't graduate. I'm not doing this for me. I'm doing it for you. Like, in so showing like, Cameron this great day out, he's showing Cameron what his life would be like, but he's also sort of reminding himself, you know, you've got to yeah, work so like, stuff. Yeah, so, like, are you saying that, like, because Cameron's so kind of clenched tight, Ferris is even more off the chain as well? I yeah. love that. that kind yeah. of, like, he, like, in his, in his sort of drive to be as un-Cameron-like as possible, it makes him do more outrageous, outrageous things. things. Yeah. What's your if I if I said you have to pick one scene that's your favourite, what would it be? Oh my god, I don't even know. Do you know what? I think it's got to be. I know Hedley Freeman talks about the scene in the in the um, gallery, and I I was going to talk about that because when I went to Chicago, I literally reenacted that whole scene and I even went to a lot, when I, the first and only time I've been to Chicago, I basically did Ferris Bueller's Day Off. But, I think my favourite scene is the, the race at the end with the, oh, yeah. with Jenny driving like a maniac and, and Ferris, Ferris jumping through the backyard. running through all the backyards because there's no part of the suburban kind of place that's not open to him, he even runs through someone's house. 
Yeah. Like he, there are no boundaries for parents. That's, that's what that thing says to me. Except Jeannie, <laughs> she is the last boundary. And even then, at the very end, she backs him against, she against does. Rooney. Yeah. And what is one of my favourite, all-time favourite moments where, as much as they hate each other or she hates him, but... You know, the family. Neither of them hates the other more than... More than they really. hate <laughs> Yeah. He's oh. such a great character. He's he is a great character. An excellent kind of mommy, you know... Yeah. I mean, I was going to say villain, but that's too strong a word. You know, he's the villain of yeah. the story, but only because he's so pathetic. I don't trust this kid any further than I can throw him. Well, with your bad knee, Ed, you shouldn't throw anybody. Yeah, and, and I feel like Hughes never misses a chance to just punt him in the shins. You know, every yeah. every, every turn in that film, every turn that that character faces is just another yeah. indignity hate on someone who could not deserve it more. Yeah, he's not evil. Do you think, do you think that he envies Ferris? Oh, yeah, that's the only reason that he loathes that kid so much is because he envies him. Exactly. That's exactly what it is. It's like he's not going to get away with I'm not going to let this kid get away with it. And he keeps getting away with it every time. Because Ferris, I mean, as, you know, as, as Grace kind of says in a roundabout way in that scene that we quoted last week, Ferris has the respect of the school. Every kid in the school loves him. Yeah. None of them love Rooney. <laughs> None of them love Rooney. And it's, and it's like, actually, there was one bit that I thought that really sums up Rooney. <laughs> sums up how pathetic Rooney is. It's when he's running to meet Sloane to take her out to <laughs> see her dad and he runs past the doors of the classrooms. He's running and down the corridor, stop. but he stops and walks oh. calmly in front of the door because he can't even let the kids see him flustered, even a tiny smidge. Yeah. He has to, <laughs> he has to appear. Cook cover collected. It's just a genius. It's a genius observation. It really is. It really is. Yeah. There's, so much, there's, there's a lot of detail in this movie too. I think that. I mean, you know, one, one thing I was. This is such a tiny little thing, but remember when they drop the car off at the valet? Yeah. When they go to the restaurant, <laughs> I, I love that restaurant scene so much. Sausage yeah, King of Chicago. Sausage King of Chicago. Um, But when they drop the car off and the two guys are chatting to each other and Ferris goes, do you speak English? And the guy says, what country do you think you're in? Yeah. Like, (laughs) just a little detail like that. It just sort of gives you, like, a tiny little glimpse into the world outside of this highly stylized, you know, kind of almost fantastical world of the movie right like it yeah. takes a moment to kind of step outside of it and be like here's here's a glimpse into the wider community or the or you know the country that the that the stylized world exists within that kind of echoes what what hadley freeman was talking about about john hughes's uh, like opinions about class that come right in his film because he's not at all judgmental about those two guys who take that car for for a a joyride around Chicago. In fact, he portrays it as this kind of like righteous, amazing thing. Yeah, heroic yeah. kind of act of, of defiance. Fair play to them is what it kind of says. I love that. I love that, that I scene when exactly they exactly how it comes across. Yeah. There's no, there's nothing about those characters or the way that that. I mean, it's so short. It's like you know, what is it, like a 30-second cut of them joyriding in the Ferrari. I know, but, but it's, it's gorgeously set to the music of, to the theme tune of Star Wars. <laughs> They're flying through the air. 
And it's so beautiful, so and it's just full of joy. Yeah, it is. You know, there's no part of you that wants to see those characters punished, but it's not even it's not even asking you to be like, you know, yeah, go you for sticking it to the man or whatever. It's really just like, look how much they are loving this. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. This is just bringing them so much happiness. Yeah, yeah, and oh, it's not, you God. know, because there are John Hughes movies, of course, where he's very explicitly making comments about. Class. I mean, mm, um, mm. Pretty in Pink is the really obvious yeah. one. Sixteen Candles has a bit of that as well. Um, it's definitely something that he's interested in, and it's not overt here. But yeah, I think you know, it, it, if you you look at it through that lens, and you can see it kind of woven through <clears throat> the film. <laughs> that you love most? As soon as I asked you that question, I knew you were going to put it back on me and then I wasn't sure what I was going to say. <laughs> there's, there are so, there's so many, there's so many tiny moments in the film that I love so much. I love, for example, the bit where, where Sloane gets called out of class and she puts her, she puts her hand on her chest and goes, me? Like, I don't know. She knows what I'm talking about. It's such a tiny moment. But it's just so great. Just these little, little, little things. I think if I had to choose a number one favourite scene, if you were going to paint me into that corner cruelly, because who would do I that am. to a person? I'm That's painting. a horrible thing to do. So I think I choose a very favourite scene of Ferris Bueller. I quite like... You know what I like? I like the scene where Rooney is watching the baseball game on TV and he turns around just at the moment. So he turns away from the TV screen (laughs) just at the moment where the camera pans to Ferris who is catching the baseball, right? So the massive like out of the park and Ferris catches the ball. I love it because I think it sums up so much of what's great about those characters in the film, you know, Ferris just like having the most amazing day you can imagine. I mean, he doesn't just get to go to the game, he gets to catch the ball and Rooney then seconds away as he always is from catching him. He's just had Coke splashed in his face by someone he thought was Ferris and wasn't and then he just misses him. It's a beautiful, it is a beautiful I also, moment. It's a beautiful moment. I also love, love the bit where, um, I mean, just because it would make me laugh if I was dead, I think, where <laughs> Cameron calls and pretends to be close-up. <laughs> and Rudy's saying all that stuff to And Rudy thinks he's talking to Ferris. He's like, bring me the body. Bring <laughs> the body. We're all of both your dead down mother-in-law. <laughs> oh, but it's this just, is a truly beautiful, beautiful and moment. And and I love every single piece of dialogue. There's not one line in the film. I don't think that isn't great. There was one of the things I noticed. There's so much packed in that, right? There's this huge character development arc for Cameron there's all the actions the stuff that they do all day it's a really quite a short film though they've packed so much in and that script 
is lean and mean and beautiful. Oh yeah, I mean the language is brilliant. I, I love I like how Ferris talks. Like again, he doesn't talk the way that your stereotypical popular teenager talks. No, no, he um, talks like he's, he talks yeah. like a fifty year old man. I said it before, and I'll say it again. Life moves pretty fast. You don't stop and look around once in a while. You could miss it. He does. He does. His 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 dialogue is excellent. We haven't talked about Matthew Broderick. I think what's great, what what makes Matthew Broderick really excellent in that film, and apparently people like apparently Tom Cruise read for that role, and like a bunch of other guys in the same. Oh, I'm so you know, glad that Cruise didn't get it. He would have been so much smarmier. That, that is exactly it. Matthew Broderick is, I mean, like, so good-looking, so cute in this movie, you yeah. know. He's, like, he's he's really easy on the eye. He's got the comedic timing, and he does, and, and but nothing about him is, like, shit-eating, you know? Yeah, yeah. He's yeah. totally yeah. open, and he plays Ferris in this way that's just, that's uncynical, and again, just joyful. Mm, mm, you know, like Ferris yeah, knows yeah. what he's getting away with, but he's not congratulating himself for getting away with it. I knew it! Oh! I mean, in fact, at the beginning, he doesn't even think he's going to, you know, like he goes through this big song and dance, like lick your palms, whatever. And then his parents <laughs> leave and he, go, and he turns to the camera and goes, they bought it. Even even he isn't sure that he's that he's really going to get away with this, and it's like he's rather than being self congratulatory about it, he's you know like he goes through the whole day in a slight sort of awe that he's that he's still getting away with it. It's a core value for him to try, but he doesn't. He's not cocky about it. He's not cocky in a way that's arrogant or entitled. I think. Yeah, entitled. I think that's right. That's what you're. There is. I mean, for sure. No, he's actually having that. That scene where he rings up Cameron and he's like, "I don't care, just get out of bed, you're coming, no matter what." And Cameron's but he's like, doing that "For Cameron, is he?" Like when I was when I was young and I watched that film, there was no debate that, Her- that Ferris was the hero. And then it felt like more recently, when when people have been reevaluating that film, they kind of like Ferris Bueller is not a good guy. He is a bad guy. <gasps> Who says that? Lots of people. Name any names, but okay. Give the, me, give me the brief theory on why Ferris Bueller is not a good guy. He steals his best friend's dad's car when he knows that his best friend's dad sounds like a bit of a psychopath, and that his friend is actually scared of him. As in, as adults, we can go, you know what? His dad is a jerk, and he deserves whatever he gets. But think about that and how that would have felt as a child if you were Cameron, who is clearly kind of scared of his parents. Okay. He, is, he literally says he's scared of his parents. And your, he does. Your, your mate stole the one thing that you know your dad cares about more than you. Yep. He doesn't really give him any choice about it. He pushes him and pushes him and pushes him all day, really. Yeah. And I know that, that we like we were saying before that it's like that um, he's doing it for Cameron. But I'm never 100% convinced that that's the case. One of the kids says that he's going to help him get out of summer school, which is cheating in school in some way. He manipulates his parents. Mm-hmm. Ah, that's, that's it. That's all but, I've got. Okay. Those all things right. aren't great. Okay. None of those You're things are great. Right. You're absolutely right. I can't disagree with you. He's even, when you... even when he jumps past, even when he's doing that, that epic run, 
he jumps between those two girls in bikinis and he comes back and introduces them to himself to them. Even though he has a girlfriend. Even though he has a girlfriend, the so girlfriend, you, not just a girlfriend, but the girlfriend. Like that, that's, that's true. But if you think about the film, who gets hurt in this movie? I mean, his parents, like, he manipulates his parents, but the worst thing that happens to them is that his mum doesn't, she might not get a sale through that day, right? Apart from that, yeah. nothing bad happens to them. I mean, I have a sister, but she has to make out with Charlie Sheen because of him, so write that off. She comes, so right, so she comes out like again. A, like a fable, the kids, anytime bad things happen, there's a good payoff. Yeah, I mean, I'm just like, really, the, the I, I think, from my perspective, the only person in this film who really comes out worse than they started out is Rooney, right? Yeah, yeah. But he needed taking down, he needed that kind of... Sure, absolutely. That's fine. There's no problem with him. There's no problem with him coming out worse than he started. But while, I mean, I think the the biggest, the most compelling thing that you just said about why why Ferris isn't a good guy, because I don't, I mean, the movie doesn't ask me to care about, like, Mm. his parents, for example. Mm. You know, that's that's not a concern of mine. The most compelling thing you said is that he is that he forces Cameron to do things that Cameron doesn't want to do and that could have really negative outcomes for Cameron. Mm. But Cameron needs this. And I think, you know, that Ferris knows that this is his last chance to do so many things. And one of them, and maybe the most important thing that it's his last chance to do, is to help Cameron. Otherwise, you know, there's that bit, he has that, he has that little bit where he talks about how Cameron, like, he's going to wind up um, marrying the first girl he sleeps with and they're not going to be happy because he's, she's never going to respect him. I can't remember exactly how the quote goes. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, he kind of lays out this alternate um, future for Cameron where he never learns to not be scared. So if Cameron needs this to happen and Ferris knows that he is the person who can... Can make it happen. Can make Make, it happen. Make it happen. I gotta take a stand against him. I am not gonna sit on my ass as the events that affect me unfold to determine the course of my life. I'm gonna take a stand. I'm going to defend it. Right or wrong, I'm going to defend it. I I spent a lot of time last night worrying about Cameron. I'd love to know what What happened. What happened to Cameron? Yeah, I'm going to have to write some fan fiction about it. That's a a bloody great idea. Cameron's dead. It's going to be called Cameron's Cameron's, dead. When Cameron's dead comes home. I can't wait to read this. Because part of me is going to write it. We're going to post the link on the show page. (laughs) I don't know about that. But what I think happens is that Cameron sits there for a little while on the floor where the car was looking at that broken glass and then he gets up and goes into his room, packs his bags and leaves. And I he never so. sees his dad again. I kind of hope so. <laughs> but at it the goes very on the road. Least, I think Cameron, you know, gets into trouble from his dad. I mean, obviously he's going to get into a huge amount of trouble from his dad, but Cameron also realises that for the first time maybe that the world is a lot bigger than yeah. his dad yeah. and his dad's yeah. concerns and, and that yeah. his 
his worst isn't tied up in what his dad thinks of him. Yeah, that he's not actually less valuable than a car. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And and who loves Cameron? Ferris. Ferris, yeah. is a, Ferris gen- genuinely loves him. Is this the point where I tell you that I twice used Ferris Beale methods to get out of going to school and once to leave a job? <laughs> I did. I did a palm oak. And I kind of, I kind of, maybe I riffed on it myself a little bit. I maybe pressed my clammy plum to my forehead so that my forehead would also be clammy. I thought that Ferris would approve. (laughs) Two days I got out of school where I pretty much just didn't go into town and have the time of my life. I sat at home and watched Days of Our Lives. But also, actually, at one point, I watched The Tube was on TV, and um, that's how I discovered The Smiths. So technically, my musical tastes are all down you to the know, let's also <laughs> Let's also point out that you grew up in Lower Hutt, not Chicago, so probably True. your options like, for yeah, an epic day out were a little more limited. We're a little bit limited, yeah. I grew up in Upper Hutt, so I was even more limited again. Yeah. And you, but you heard The Smiths, oh, no, that's a cover. Oh, yeah, it's a, it's a cover, it's a, it's um, Dream Academy oh, cover. Oh, great, it is, it's Dream Academy, please, please, please. please. <coughs> great and song, great cover. A great song, a great cover, and a really, really great scene in that movie. Oh. And I loved what Hadley Freeman talked about. She said that John Hughes deliberately put that scene in because he spent such a long time at that gallery, at that museum. Basically, it was his refuge when he was like a loser, loner, teenager. In Chicago. So, Ferris Gillisdale, one for anyone who's ever been a teenager, I think. Also, something else I would say about Ferris Gillisdale super quickly is that while it's a movie that was made in the 80s and there are some things about it that are obviously dated, as a movie, it doesn't feel dated to me at all. And some John Hughes movies do. But even then, there's that classic John Hughes thing of like, it, it kind of implies that she lets Ferris off at the end because she's been fixed by getting to pash the hot bad guy, bad boy. Because she's like... I can't totally fault the movie for that, though. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe... Pash the young Charlie Sheen, would you, would you have been like a better teenager? Is that... <laughs> Because I probably would have. If I had just pashed that version of Charlie, if I just pashed that character, I would definitely have felt a little bit more lenient towards my little brother (laughs) trying to play my parents. I would have been like, you know what? Oh, okay, yeah, I'm going to own it. I would have too. Yeah. (laughs) No two ways about it. Yeah. All right. (laughs) He's like every parent's nightmare (laughs) and every teenage girl's dream. John Hughes yeah. is really good at writing at writing those those rebel bad boys. Oh yeah, I mean we could talk about John Bender, but I think that could be a whole I feel other like that's episode. A whole other podcast. <laughs> it's all, all on its own. We will, we will, Let's we totally it. will. But it's probably time for us to wrap this one up, hey? Any final any final thoughts? My final thoughts about the film: the one the one moment that I think encapsulates the entire film for me is that cutaway of 
of the sex school secretary Grace sitting at her desk sniffing twig. <laughs> Do you know what I love Grace doing? <laughs> Pulling pencils <laughs> out of her <laughs> beehive. She gets three oh, full size pencils out of that hair. Oh, God. God love you, Grace. She gets some of in, in a movie where every line is an absolute banger. Even like when Judy's like storms out of the office, she's like, asshole. (laughs) (laughs) It's beautiful, it's beautiful. Uh, Eddie McClurg, that's the name of the actress. God love her. Bless her heart. Well, Kylie, thanks for that chat about one of my all-time favourite movies. No, thank you for that, that was scroll down memory lane. It was beautiful. <laughs> if there are any movies you guys think we should call each other to talk about and laugh over, we can do that. Know. Yeah, we can do that. Let us know. We'll watch anything. Tell us um, if I was totally wrong about Ferris and I shouldn't have guided Kylie away from thinking that he's a villain. I'm really interested to hear your thoughts on that. Uh, and we really want to hear also from you about who your favourite character is. Are you Team Cameron or Team Ferris? And also I really want to hear what you think happened to Cameron after oh, after yeah. after Ferris and Fanfic. Let us know. And maybe we'll we will write it and put it on put it on our site. Or read out some of yours. Oh yes. You can leave a message and let us know as well via Anchor, our podcast hosting site, Anchor. And you can find us on Twitter at NZ underscore off or on Facebook at OffscriptNZ. And you can email us too at OffscriptNZ at gmail.com. And I think that's everything. That's See everything. you guys next week. What are we talking about next week? We're talking about The Bachelorette. The first that ever season of The Bachelorette in New Zealand is launching next. <laughs> I've already had a few thoughts about it, which I've committed digital paper. We'll, we'll link to a few of those. Please join us to watch The Bachelorette. Who knows, maybe I'll even do something crazy like live tweet it or something, but maybe let's do it. I think you should. And tell us what you think about the first episode and we'll tell you what we thought about the first episode next week. This has been Off Script. See you guys later. Bye.